Ladies and gentlemen, Euclid's and Keters, welcome to a semi-regular piece of programming that I call Crit Lives Within. Uh, my name is Many Meats. I am an SCP author, and as of the time of this recording, I'm also a junior member of the site's Crit team. And while I'll get to more about me and my background in time, I uh, don't want to make this show about me. Uh, what I would like this show to represent is a close, deep look at the underpinnings of an SCP article that has both found its way into a net positive vote-wise and that I feel has room for uh, critical feedback, something that could benefit from a critical look. Uh, love to try for things that will have fewer comments, fewer votes, you know, general lack of eyes. Something that some things do inspire no response, uh, and that is a specific type of an article, but other things simply go unnoticed. And it's both of those things that I would like to shed a light on uh, in this format and help get to the bottom of why. So maybe, um, you know, those authors and the people looking to write their own SCPs can kind of overcome that hump too. Uh, in discussing with some of my um, crit team peers, one of the kind of general thresholds we look at is getting over that plus 30 net positive hump. That's when you can really feel like not only is your article, um, you know, well written, but, you know, also well received kind of at that, that plus 30 point. Not that articles under plus 30 aren't, just... Um, you know, there's a momentum of these things, and, and interest um, is difficult to quantify or qualify. So really, the only reasonable representation we can give uh, in the format provided to us is uh, to look at the upvotes, uh, for better and worse. With all this criteria in mind, there are going to be exceptions. Occasionally, an article is going to catch my eye that is well-liked, but the comments are mostly, you know, just platitudes rather than helpful criticism. Um, or something that might be controversial in terms of votes, receiving lots of ups and downs um, and lots of commentary and opinion. You know, sometimes you'll have articles that just have, you know, four times the comments that you might see elsewhere. Um, or something could just come along that I find to be really intriguing. Uh, it's got literary devices, uh, format screws, things like that that are worth discussing. Um, I don't really consider this to be a podcast. I consider this to be a more focused, uh, a more focused piece of um, media than that. Um, and with that in mind, the SCP Cafe is a show that I enjoy tremendously. Um, and there are other formats out there, uh, the SCP Cafe and other things like it, the Exploring series, um, and the Volgans. Um, reads uh, that can offer you kind of general musings on the lore and implication of articles um, and more about the exploration of the story. Um, I'd like this to be, you know, a little lower level than that um, about some more mechanical aspects of an SCP article. Uh, all in all, I'd like this show to be something that can be consumed in 30 minutes or less and then maybe have some follow-up discussion spawned um, either on the piece we talk about or through other mediums, um, like perhaps forum topics um, or in IRC, or sometimes you can catch me uh, in the 
uh, SCP International Discord or the SCP Declassified Discord. Uh, I'll admit that I have done a little bit of coordinating with Blue Soul, who is the uh, SCP Wiki moderator that runs the SCP Cafe podcast. Um, and I don't want to step on his toes with this format or a content. Um, so I've spoken to him briefly about a couple pieces that, uh, you know, maybe just miss out on getting on his show or that he thinks have something interesting to talk about um, for one reason or another. And, um, you know, that's a well I plan to go back to frequently. Um, and so uh, with that in mind, might as well introduce, um, I guess, the main point. Uh, nothing quite like just showing you what I mean. Uh, for today's show, I have selected SCP-4137, which is called The Infinite Icosahedron by Kumtorara. And uh, if I misspoke in pronouncing your name, I apologize, author. Uh, this does look to be a first-time piece. Uh, it looks like it was tried once back in March, but it was pulled down for polish, and it's back on the site again. That's definitely a thing I've done personally, so it's good to see that this author, he or she, has stuck with it. Uh, this article is published on April 16th, and as of the date of the recording, it's got a plus 8 net total um, with a moderate amount of votes, so it's about 20, 25, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, it's still kind of low on the note number, but enough to know that it's probably going to stay positive. When you open the piece, there are two pictures visible. Oh, they're kind of a similar thing. We have an exterior shot of a three-dimensional geometric shape. Um, it kind of reminds me of the Vulcan game of Kalto, if any of you are big enough Trekkies or nerds to know what that is. Uh, it looks like we can see a lot of aluminum or brushed steel pipes forming triangles, and they're linked up with each other. And there's a whole bunch more uh, that you can see in the depths of this sort of a, for lack of a better term, superstructure. The interior is well lit, but you can see dark spaces off in the depths, uh, possibly a factor of distance. Um, you know, I think that might just be a way to, to create depth. Uh, and it does, it gives that illusion. Uh, presumably the picture is showing us the interior of the infinite icosahedron. This SCP is labeled as safe and is contained in a standard safe item locker. I'll read the next part verbatim because it's the first thing I'd like to really talk about critically. Any personnel with level 3 security clearance or lower without supervision from personnel with level 4 security clearance or higher is not to be allowed in SCP-4137 storage locker. So right there, we're trying to set some stakes, uh, but this is a clunky sentence. Um, and the stakes that it's trying to set is something that I do see a lot of new authors or uh, less experienced authors go to. Uh, this is a sort of an artificial limit uh, on your testing that requires, you know, this level of clearance. So-and-so can't go in there, so-and-so can. Um, it's good to get, you know, your buzzwords for the scientific sort of clearance levels and staff levels, but this is really just an artificial danger. Um, there are implications when you say that the number is really high or really low, uh, but there isn't any inherent real danger, especially if you're in the middle here and you like, say level three, which is you know right smack dab in the middle of one to five. Um, scarcity is a good tool. If you think back to things like uh, SCP-500, the pills, there are a limited number of those pills. So another angle that you can explore in limiting the testing is the scarcity of this resource. Um, 
you end the testing because you're running out of the resource that you want to test. Um, test time isn't really a resource. Uh, it sounds fancy to call something restricted, but all a reader would really care about is why it would be restricted, not the fact that it is. So again, in the instance of SCP-500, you have a finite number of pills. And the instance here of this icosahedron, uh, you don't really have a resource in contention other than time, which as I just said, isn't really a constraint um, by anything indicated in the rest of the article. <clears throat> so um, the last thing that I just quoted before is something from the end of the containment procedures. There's nothing there to set up why it's restricted, just the statement that it is. Uh, unsupported tension. It's not harmful, but it also isn't really useful. Um, additionally, this is uh, you know just a poor tone for a sentence. It could really be reduced to testing is restricted to uh, level four personnel, and you could just be done with a sentence like that, and it achieves the same thing. You don't have to say at least this and less than that. Um, it's a lot of extra words without adding anything out of it. Don't want to beat this one sentence up too much longer, so we're going to move on. Our description informs us that this is a hollow icosahedron, uh, which isn't... Um, strictly true uh it has interior space so it's very much occupied it just uh happens to have a, a structure inside it's a three-dimensional object um with specific dimensions of 101 centimeters this is the line i would normally criticize um you know the inclusion of 101 centimeters because the detail um of the number is superfluous unless it actually is really important to the core idea you can argue this one, though, since it's got non-Euclidean dimensions inside. Um, but in this case, I think the inclusion is okay because the rest of the piece only really describes this thing as a three-dimensional geometric shape. So using this phrase to get at least something of an idea of the size of this thing is useful uh, for a mental picture, if nothing else. I'm not sure it adds a lot, but in this instance, it doesn't really detract me in a bothersome way. I'm okay with it. The article continues to say that it appears to be composed of steel fluorescent lamps with no known power source. Appears to be is a phrase that you'll hear a lot of veterans and crit staff discourage or call out. Either a thing is or it isn't. Uh, failing that, there needs to be a reason to assume with an accompanying reason that we cannot confirm our hypothesis. I don't see any reason provided by this article why we couldn't just check the properties of the material and know if it's steel or not. Um, if we couldn't check because it's lethally radioactive, that would be one example. Um, just a quick thing from the top of the head. Or, you know, if this material is um, indestructible or we can't damage it or something like that. Again, I don't see any of those things happening. The next line, I'm going to go verbatim again. The icosahedron is viewed to be infinitely larger in the interior than the exterior and is comprised entirely of thousands of scaffolds. End quote. There's a lot to talk about here, even though it's just one sentence, because it's more or less the soft center of this piece that I think holds it back to its current vote level. Uh, first, the word infinite is dangerous. Uh, the author would know if it is in fact infinite or not, but the problem with practical testing of infinity is that by definition, you'll never know for sure. Um, you can throw the term around casually, uh, and I've seen some SCPs do just fine using the word infinite. We can talk here about mechanisms which suggest it is, like we see recursion in the structures or something like that. Um, we are not able to find any known bounds. But how can you test the boundary of something that doesn't have a boundary? 
Um, in addition to the problem of infinity, there's a word complication here by comparing the interior to the exterior. I think that comparison is safely assumed and it muddles the sentence a lot to have that thrown in. Um, and the third and final issue that I want to bring up is the scaffolding part, which just isn't clicking for me. And thousands. Uh, if this thing has an infinite interior, the scaffolds should therefore then be infinite. Um, so why bind one of these examples to thousands and one of these examples to infinity? Additionally, what even is a scaffold in this context? Are you meaning that it's the the tubes that connect between the triangles that make up the structure of the icosahedron? Uh, it's possible that this is a mathematical term for the three-dimensional structures, and I'm just not familiar with it, um, in which case the word choice is probably fine because the document should assume literacy with the subject material. Uh, the next and final portion of the description features ways by which an object can be entered, or excuse me, ways by which the object can be entered. Once entered, a subject will no longer see the exterior and appear to be deeply within the structures of 4137. If they enter backward, they'll continue to see the exterior fine until their view becomes obstructed for whatever reason, at which point they'll lose sight of the exterior permanently, um, just like somebody who entered in a normal way. There's a final ad here that it seems impossible to enter if the it seems impossible to enter the object if someone from the inside is presently looking out towards the exterior, sort of uh, locking you out of this state while somebody can see the outside. I'm going to circle back to this whole chunk here of information uh, once we move a bit into the addenda because I have uh, I have several issues with it. Uh, and the rest of the work is test logs. There are five in total, and none of them are very long, and they are presented in a chronological order. Test one, we have a woman with an altitude sensor and a body cam, a body cam and a radio. She uh, is dropped down into the icosahedron, and she descends 647 meters before she slips and falls at which point she falls 26 meters and the resulting impact kills her. Um, I'm presuming what's killing her is the impact, that she lands on one of these bars, but it actually isn't clear. It just says she falls 26 meters and she dies. Maybe she hits her head. Uh, maybe it's just the impact. We don't know. I think it's far more likely that she hits the thing and gets knocked out and just keeps ragdoll falling but this article chooses not to go in that. I think that's a missed opportunity to skip something a little more gruesome into this piece uh, that could have helped a little bit with some of the horror aspects in addition to just the isolation. Uh, but, um, you know, that's probably not gonna, probably not gonna um, turn this into a completely different direction. Um, additionally, this is a very strange place to me to start. I don't understand why we aren't just dropping some data gathering equipment down here solo. Um, you know, sending a camera on a string, sending a reconnaissance drone, um, a probe. Uh, the default state of testing shouldn't be to throw the people cannon. You know, uh, D for disposable class is kind of the trope, um, the cliche, if you will. And um, we should have a story presentable for appropriate use of human life uh, before we just start throwing lives at it. Uh, test two is a male with the same equipment as the first subject. 
they turn this guy backwards and tell him to explore just around the point of entry. They have him back into this thing. He travels nearly four kilometers, which um, I would definitely say is nowhere near the entrance to this thing. Um, I don't get the relationship here, why four kilometers. Uh, the subject reports that he is exhausted and he needs to take a break. And when he does so and gets back up, he can no longer find the entrance and he starts moving around seemingly at random, uh, you know, up, down, front, back. Uh, the altimeter isn't changing at all that he's carrying, uh, but he does seem to be covering distance. And eventually they lose him, um, they lose contact with him, and they just mark him as MIA. They presume that he dies due to dehydration. Um, I don't understand where this guy's tether is, uh, why they haven't tethered the first person either. They just turned these guys loose and said, go get him. Uh, a tether would be the absolute minimum way to explore something visually confusing, with no obvious, um, no obvious uh, day-night cycle or anything like that to guide you in a completely repeating interior structure, um, especially after you've lost the first person to a fatal fall. Uh, that triply makes this make no sense to not have a tether. Uh, additionally, I don't get where the inspiration um, to have somebody enter this backwards would come from. I think this is a problem where the author knows the hook but he doesn't know how to allude to it naturally. And we'll get to more of that a little bit later. Uh, test number three is the same equipment as the first two, except we've added a hammock and six days worth of food and water. Uh, this D-class makes it 34 kilometers in total before they die due to dehydration. There's a note that we've decided to end biological testing at this point. Uh, just first, grammatically, I don't like the phrase uh, end biological testing. Uh, I understand it in context just fine. I get what the author is going for. Uh, we're done using humans. That's the point. The problem with this phrase is that it isn't a biological thing. We're testing a metal structure. We're not testing on biology. We're not testing if it is biology. We're throwing living things at it. Uh, I'd like this to be reworded. We decided to end human testing trials or something to that effect. That's not even a very good phrase, but I just it strikes me as uh, not a good word choice. Uh, test four, we drop a camera with a big battery. Uh, we just drop it. We put it in a shock and fall resistant housing, and it falls nearly 50 kilometers before it loses uh, power. And I immediately have to wonder why we didn't start with this. This is so much safer. Nobody had to die to drop this camera. Uh, test number five, we have a camera on a selfie stick that a scientist on the exterior dips in and out. And they turn the camera around to face away. And we can no longer withdraw the camera, only insert it further once they turn it around. Uh, which makes me take back what I just said. This is what should have been the first test. Just stick a camera in through the window and take a look uh, and learn something from it. It's possible nobody had to die at all uh, except for, you know, one person maybe as a, a later attempt to send somebody in there to explore. Uh, but, you know, if they if they would have led with a safe, easily controlled camera on a stick like a reasonable scientist should have. Uh, nobody had to die at all. Uh, and that's the end of this article.
So the premise here is that we have a recursive structure that's anomalous to space-time. Uh, it breaks the rules by being non-Euclidean. It's 101 centimeter dimensions, but it's uh, quote-unquote infinite on the inside. And you also can't leave once you enter. Um, there are a lot of previously explored tropes in that description. Non-Euclidean spaces, spaces you can't leave, um, things like that are not, uh, they're not new hat. Um, to use a tired phrase, but uh, that doesn't mean you can't explore new things inside of them, even though it's an old paradigm. Uh, but just additionally, there's no information at all in this article about where we got this thing. There's no information about how we got it. There's no information about who might have made it. Uh, any hints at all about its origin. In fact, we don't explore any features whatsoever except for just the core anomaly of this thing. And that's really why this is sitting positive but only just barely um, there's no uh, extra seasoning to give this thing more depth bearing in mind that i'm just one reader and i only get one vote uh, good pieces are a concert of details little things that propel you all towards the end of an article and move you along encouraging you to read further by introducing information to be referred to or used narratively later on, things called forward, things called back, things and characters uh, that you, the reader, get to see and you're left wanting to know more about, world building that calls out uh, for exposition that you may or may not get, things like that build a sort of harmony that propels a piece and gives it depth way more than just the rote function of its parts. A class, procedure, description, and your addenda None of those things individually, uh, well, I shouldn't say none of those things, rarely do those things individually make a piece in and of itself worth reading. It always comes down to the sum total of all those things being read in order. It's not my intention to pick on this piece, um, or any piece that I plan to talk about uh, in this format, but rather I just want to illuminate what does and what doesn't work for me as a reader uh, with a critical eye that I try to take into the discussion of every piece that I review as part of the site crit team. This piece shows promise, uh, and this author shows promise, because we're talking about something that does show events in an order. It does think about those concepts that you would deal with where you have somebody who gets isolated inside this strange alien thing that doesn't make sense for a human mind. They can't find their way out. They're waiting for rescue that never comes. There are things you can imagine from this. Uh, it just so happens that we really don't um, we don't get these features explored or fleshed out. Um, and doing that in this scope uh, so narrow without any real twist other than uh, the late discovery that the selfie stick reveal, oh, we could have just flipped it around and not killed three people. Um, you know, leaving that at the end uh, really kills um, what the author was trying to pull off for me as a reader. Uh, personally, I'd envision this article, uh, at least without really materially changing it, uh, to redo the logs so we have some tests that the researchers conducting them are just straight up not thinking very creatively. Maybe we drop stuff down, no bottom found, we fly a drone, no ceiling found, we send a person, we play it bad, we lose them, we send another better prepared. Uh, since we're cautious this time, we try to retrieve them, but we can't. 
And then finally we discover why, possibly through the use of that simple handheld camera. Uh, if the Foundation had been following their scientific procedures and gone about this in the right way, lives would have been spared. That is an angle you absolutely could have explicitly taken with this article without really changing much and arrived at the same destination. Uh, there are those elements here you could have definitely played with. Um, since we're skipping everything else about discovery and recovery, uh, you can bring in those ethics to show the cold and not cruel um, and humanize the researchers with their regret about the lives lost and their mistake. Uh, and, you know, show that token appreciation for life rather than um, people cannoning at this anomaly. At its core, we do have a solid foundation to this article um, from which a good story could be built. Isolation, desperation, hopelessness. But you have to build that up beyond just the foundation we've laid out here. Structures of your narrative have to create a story that can stand on top of that foundation. Uh, if we continue the house analogy, what we have here is the concrete port and there's a few beams in place. There just aren't any walls. Um, I think this is an author that's going to get a lot better and do so quickly. The tone, other than a couple places I pointed out, uh, is pretty good. Um, critical feedback was asked for and received, but um, after I did an admittedly quick read, uh, I can see several of the issues that I mentioned um, were... Uh, pointed out or existed in some other form uh, the first time that this article was brought to the forums for critical feedback uh, a few months ago. So those pieces of feedback were either not acted upon or partially acted upon. Um, so um, it's very okay to disagree with the critical feedback that you get for stylistic reasons. Um, people who read your piece don't necessarily know, well, not necessarily, they definitely don't know what's in your head. Um, but my suggestion to any writer out there is that if you are receiving a substantial amount of critical feedback on a piece that you put up, you know, actionable, actionable stuff about your spelling, grammar, punctuation, actionable stuff about your tone, your conceptual uh, bits of the piece, your execution, you owe it to yourself and your article to consider um, and at least you know, ask for a second set of eyes before you go ahead and you publish that baby on the main list. Sleep on your feedback. Think on your feedback. Your article isn't going to go anywhere. Patience is a virtue and all those other directly related cliches. If someone believes your article is ready for the main list, they're likely to just outright tell you that. So never assume everything shared with you critically in one pass is the sum total of all your critical problems. On that note, I leave you with a quote from the great Shigeru Miyamoto, who is the creator of Mario, Donkey Kong, The Legend of Zelda, and numerous other things. He is quoted as saying, a delayed game will eventually be good, but a bad game on time is bad forever. So until next time, good night and good luck. This has been Crit Lives Within.